Well, this last summer, my wife Lisa and I celebrated 25 years of marriage together. And (laughs) throughout those 25 years, God has given us three great gifts. This is the first of them. That's my daughter, Jenna. You might not recognize her in that picture. You may recognize her in that one. She's now a, in her third year at University of Arizona, a great woman of God who is serving God down there in Tucson. Our second gift was Joshua. There he is. And you may recognize him more in this picture here. Um, that was with our church in Zambia this last summer. A young man of God. He's in his senior year of high school and getting ready to think about what God has for him next in his life. And then the third gift that God gave us, there's Caleb. And you may have been greeted by Caleb when you came in the service today. There he is at Chase Field and um, celebrating a D-back game. And as I was thinking about my three kids and I was thinking about this passage of scripture that we're looking at today and reflecting on that, I was realizing that there's some incredible truths that I think that God has for us today as we consider his word. And I'm excited about that. And regardless of whether you have children, regardless of what place you are at in life, I think we're going to see some really powerful things in his word today. But first, a little background. Pastor Scott's been leading us in a series on flawed families. And throughout that time, we've looked at a number of flawed families that exist throughout Scripture. And in the book of Genesis, there's four big families that carry on throughout the book of Genesis. And he's talked about many of those families. There was Abraham, and then Abraham's son, Isaac, and so Isaac's family. And then after Isaac was Jacob. And Jacob's name later changes to Israel. And Jacob has a bunch of children, and his sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's where um, Joseph comes in, and he was talking about that family last week during the sermon and how um, the, the different things that happened in that flawed family. Of those 12 tribes of Israel, two of them you've probably heard about a lot. One is Judah, and the reason you've heard about Judah a lot is even from the time of Genesis, it was promised that the Messiah was going to come through the line of Judah. And indeed, Jesus is born in the line of Judah. Another family that's brought up a lot throughout Scripture is the family of Levi, and that was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And what's interesting about Levi is that's where the priests come from. If you were in Old Testament times and you were an Israelite uh, and you wanted to be a priest, you wouldn't show up at the temple with your resume and say, I'd like to apply. If you were in the Levite line, you would be a priest. If you weren't, you would not be. And so that's how that was going to work. And so Joseph ends up going to um, Egypt at some point because of his brother selling him into slavery. And Pastor Scott talked about that last week. And after they go there, the whole family ends up there. And um, Joseph ends up saving his family from a famine that comes. They end up spending about 400 years in Egypt. And then Moses comes around. And you've heard of Moses. And let my people go. And they go out into the wilderness and are headed to the promised land. And as they're in the wilderness, God tells them them to build a tabernacle. And it's like this huge tent that they're going to use to worship God at. Except it's not a tent like you'd be thinking about if you go camping. Instead, it's, it's just exquisitely made with incredible fabrics and incredible design. And it was made so that the Levites would tear it down when it was time to move on to the next site. And eventually they get to the promised land. And when they get to the promised land, they they put that tabernacle at places where they're going to worship God. And it was often at a place called Shiloh. And they would be worshiping God in the tabernacle in Shiloh. And they would keep doing that until Solomon eventually comes along. And Solomon's the one that builds the temple 
in Jerusalem. And so they would have been during this period of time that we're talking about today in the promised land. The tabernacle would be in Shiloh. Part of the tabernacle would be the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant had very special significance because it represented the presence of God there with his people. And so we're in this period of time, and we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 4, and not go reading the whole passages, but portions of them. And in that section, we find out about this um, person who used to go up year by year from his city. He's going to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Why is he going to Shiloh? Because that's where the tabernacle is. And so he has two sons. There's two sons of Eli. And so we're introduced to this family with a man named Eli. And he has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were priests of the Lord. And I was intrigued by this passage because just as I have three kids, here we introduce to Eli who has two kids. And Eli's a priest of God, and so he has a job, he has work that he's doing, and I have a job that I'm a part of. And I was thinking of how I I balance my time between so many different priorities that God has placed in my life. And so we come to this passage today. And our big idea today is that unbalanced priorities will lead to disaster. Unbalanced priorities lead to disaster. As God has placed me into a position where I have kids, as he's placed me in a position where I have a career, as he's given me so many other priorities... This becomes so important to me as I consider how I use my time. And regardless of whether you have a job today, you may be retired, of whether you have kids at all in your life, this is going to have very broad application as we continue to talk about this today. Unbalanced priorities lead to disaster. You know, there's times where we have to read behind the scenes to understand what God might think about a certain situation. And there's times where God just tells us outright. It's like divine commentary on a text. And God tells us just very directly what he thinks of Eli's sons. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, he says, The sons of Eli were worthless men. There's no way to misinterpret that one. They are worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And I think there's three reasons why God says that the sons of Eli were worthless men. Let's look at the text a little more here. The custom of the priest was the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was being boiled with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. The first reason why I think God says that Eli's sons are worthless is because they had their hand in the offering plate. They were paid for being priests. They received 
compensation for doing that. God made sure they were taken care of. And yet people were coming to the tabernacle and they were bringing their sacrifice to him. And we don't quite get this idea of bringing, you know, animal sacrifices and burning that before the Lord because we don't do that today. But this was their act of worship. This was their opportunity to be able to come before God and worship him. And what they were doing is they were coming along and saying, here, I want to take that. And no, don't boil that first, because it's kind of like another priest has the barbecue going in the back, and they say, we don't want to boil the meat first, we want to get on the barbecue for ourselves. It's like they had their hand in the offering plate, if it's, as it's being passed down the aisle. And because they were doing that, they were blocking the worship of God. They were preventing people from being able to worship God by their acts. And it gets even worse from there. 1 Samuel 2, 22. Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. They were involved in sexual sin. And in fact, it was probably sexual assault. Because realized they were in a position of authority. And it'd be very hard for them to be doing what they were doing there without it being coercive. So God calls these men worthless men. They didn't know the Lord. And an interesting question arose in my head as I was looking at this. And the question's this. Where's Eli when all this is happening? Here his kids are involved in these things. Where's Eli? What's going on with Eli? And here's the reason I was wondering this question here. Look at some of this text here. It says, after um, this was, um, they had eaten and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah and her husband rose. Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost at the temple of the Lord. And so one thing we see is that Eli throughout this passage is constantly at work. But look at what else it says about Eli here as we keep going on. Eli was very old and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to Israel. That's in verse 22. Verse 23. He said to them as he talks to his sons, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. Verse 24. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear of the people of the Lord spreading about you. Verse 25. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the Lord, it was the will of the Lord that they be put to death. And here's the key thing that runs throughout those. For I hear of your evil doings from all these people. See, there are times when a child might do something, a kid might do something, and it's just so out of character. And you know as a parent, you say something like, that just doesn't seem like you. But in this case, this was their character. This was so rampant of who they were. And notice Eli doesn't notice it because he's been around them and he, he, he sees what they're like. He's just hearing rumors about it from all the other people. Somehow Eli hasn't been involved in the life of his kids and I think there's one of two reasons why that could be true. One, he's either been focused so much at work that he's neglected his priorities at home. 
or even when he's been home, he hasn't been present. Unbalanced priorities lead to disaster. I want to give you three warnings today, three things to watch out about as we think of our priorities in the areas where God's given us priorities in life. The first is that. Watch out for tempting diversions from your God-given priorities. Watch out for tempting diversions from your God-given priorities. Let me give you a little fact about me. I am conflict adverse. I don't like conflict. And I have diversions from the priorities that God has given me in life that are tempting to me. There are times when, in 25 years of marriage, things are just going really well, right? You're connecting well, you're, you're, you're on the same wavelength, everything's really going well. There's times, hypothetically speaking, when, when maybe you're not connecting quite as well. <laughs> when maybe you're not seeing things the same way. When there's just a little tension at home, a little bit of conflict. My natural inclination in those situations is to say, you know what? I'm just going to go to work. In fact, recently, a few weeks ago, there was a situation, it's probably because I had this text in my head, those actual words went through my head, just go to work. You know why work's tempting to me in that kind of a moment? Because at work, I know what to do to be successful. I know exactly what it takes. And if I work harder and accomplish more, the bottom line, I own my own business, so the bottom line is going to be better and I'm going to feel better about myself. In interpersonal relationships, I don't always know what to do. I don't always know how to fix it. I don't always know the things to say. So it's very tempting for me to go to my natural diversion. You know what? I get Eli here. I was a pastor for 22 years. It is very easy to rationalize what you're doing in one priority versus another. It'd be very easy for someone like Eli to say, you know what? I'm serving God. Keeping the tabernacle going, helping people to worship God. Yeah, my family has to sacrifice, but I'm doing it for God. And even now that I'm not a pastor, I'm an attorney now, um, and in my own office, it's easy for me to rationalize that what I do. You know, I'm just trying to provide for my family, making sure I can pay for college, meet the needs of the family, help people in the community. We have to be careful about the natural diversions and the rationalizations because it can make us feel like we're doing something good, but we're taken away from something else. You know, there's an interesting illustration, and I came across this decades ago. I don't even remember who did it, so I stole it from someone, and whoever it is, I'm giving them full credit, even though I can't tell you who it is. <laughs> Eventually, this is going to look like a bicycle tire, okay? 
We're going to keep working on the illustration a little bit. So you have the hub of the tire in the middle, so you have God in the center, and then you have these different areas. Those are the spokes coming out. I know on a bicycle tire the spokes cross often, um, but it won't work for the illustration, so the spokes are going straight in this case. And you could put as many different areas up here as you need to or you want, but what I put up here are some of the main areas where God has given me these areas as a, a, a priority, an area where I'm supposed to focus my time. And so you could put whatever things you want in your areas here. I put church there, and you know I could even divide that up more. I could do areas of service. I'm an elder, so I serve in that area. For some reason, I get typecast every Easter and I'm asked to run the donut wall. I'm not sure what that's about. And so there's different areas of service that I'm involved in. Um, I could put another area in church, so I could divide it up more and have my community group, because we lead a community group. Um, I have health as an area, and for health, I'm thinking that's just the word I use for, you know, I sleep, I eat, um, exercise, reading, doing different things that help you to be a healthy person. And so um, that was an area I put there, work. And so I'm a business owner, and I work to provide for my family and to, to be able to impact the community. I have family, and I could divide that up into more areas. I could have my wife as one area. I could have my kids as another. I could have extended family as another, but I put family here. My circle, that's an area that we've talked about here at Corners stone of the unique people, maybe 8 to 12 people who are unbelievers, who God's put you in their lives to be able to impact them. So I have all these different areas that God has made as priorities in my life. And your list might look like this. It might look totally different. And in here, I have God as the center, sort of the hub of the tire, because the idea is that God's the center of my life, and he is impacting every area of my life through me. So the idea is that God is going to use me to impact all these different areas of my life. Some people talk more as a priority order when they think of priorities. We're going to put God first, others second, yourself third, something like that. The problem I have with that is I never know how I'm going to get past number one and jump to number two. So if that illustration works for you, that's awesome. This is one that's worked for me. Take it or leave it if it helps you. But the idea is that God is impacting every area of my life. Now, we need to get the inner tube on this tire to make it really look like a tire. So there's the inner tube on the tire. And that inner tube represents something that I absolutely hate. It represents 168. Because I have 168 hours per week. And the problem I have with the 168 is I can't change that. I can't buy some of your hours... You can't buy mine. I can't borrow hours. I am limited by 168 hours a week. And the reason I hate that is because here's another fun fact about me. I am a cup half full person. In fact, when I was a pastor, one of my elders once told me, you're not a cup half full person. You are cupped all the way filled to the top, even in brimming over. So the problem that I have is that I hear an opportunity I like, and I always want to say yes. And you say, well, how are you going to make that work? I don't know. We'll just make it work. But I can do more. We can make that happen. And the problem is that when I keep doing more and more and more, the tire becomes unbalanced. Because if I take more time for one thing, the 168 means I'm going to have to take something for something else. So here I'm spending more time at work, and what's it going to impact? It's going to impact my family, or it's going to impact my health. I only get 168 hours a week. 
And so here's a bottom line, always true principle. If you say yes to one thing, it always means saying no to something else. If you say yes to one thing, it always means saying no to something else. Because I'm a cup half full person, I've had to put some things in place to help make this work better. Let me give you an example of how I do that. And I've learned this the hard way over a lot of time. Every so often, Pastor Scott will ask me if I'm willing to preach. And when he does, he will usually ask me in the form of a paragraph. So he'll explain to me what the series is about and why he'd think I'd be good in that series and what that thing's going to be that I'm going to be preaching on and when it's going to happen and why that's helpful at that time. Inside of me, here's what's happening. I want to interrupt him because usually pretty early in the paragraph, I figure out where he's going. And I want to interrupt him and I want to say, yes, 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 yes. I really want to do that. Yes. Because I really enjoy studying God's word and communicating God's word. I like being up front. This is something I enjoy. But I've learned over time. And so here's what I do. First, I'm polite to Scott and I don't interrupt him. I let him finish his paragraph. And then I say to him, and you could ask him every single time he's asked me to preach, I've said this. Thank you very much for asking me. That's an honor that you would ask me to be in this spot. Let me talk to my wife, and I'll get back to you soon. Now, when I go and talk to Lisa about it, I'm not going and asking her permission to do it. We're simply thinking through together our priorities. Because I trust her. I know she loves me. I know she cares together about the priorities that God's placed in our lives. And I also know that if I get too involved that she's probably going to be and the family's probably going to be what's impacted. If I say yes to too many things, it's going to impact our family. It's going to impact my health. And so we have that conversation together. If you find yourself struggling with priorities, finding that trusted person could be absolutely vital in being able to help think through how you keep yourself balanced. Recently, Pastor Scott asked me to preach on a different occasion and um, talked to Lisa about it. And, and we really decided that the timing was just horrible with things that were coming up right then. And it looked like it wasn't a good idea. And I fully agreed with it, but I didn't like it because I really liked doing this. So even a few days later, she said, have you talked to Scott yet? Have you told him? <laughs> and no, I haven't yet because I, I really wanted to do it. But we said no to it. And then a close family member died. And we realized the reason God had to say no then is that time-wise it would have been an absolute disaster if we had said yes. Unbalanced priorities lead to disaster. I'm asked regularly to be on boards, especially of nonprofits. In fact, this last week I got another email asking me to be on a board. And Often they're nonprofits that we're very involved with, that we really value and appreciate in our community, probably ones that we financially have given to. And yet recently, as we were talking about one of those opportunities, we were realizing that, that saying yes to one thing means saying no to something else. And as we were talking, 
I said, you know what? If saying yes to this meant I had to say no to Pastor Scott when he asked me to preach, I would hate that. If saying yes to this means that I have to say no to going with one mission with our church down to Mexico and building a house with my boys, like we'll do this November and we got to do last October, I would absolutely hate that. Saying yes to one thing means saying no to something else. And what we find is that we're constantly rebalancing. We're constantly having to reevaluate. We're finding that there's seasons where, where the, the wheel's a little bit out of balance because of circumstances or things like that, and we're having to adjust, and we're having to figure that out. But we're always asking the question, what are the priority areas that God's placed into our lives? And are we spending the right amount of time in each one of those based on the responsibilities that God's given us? It's possible to be spending not enough time in one area. It's also possible to be there and to not really be there. I got another fun fact about me. You're not going to like this one, so maybe it's an awful fact about me. You could decide. I am a lifelong Dodgers fan. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you to those who applauded. Dodger fans represent. <laughs> um, in my mind, the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. Now, second are the Diamondbacks. I root for the Diamondbacks unless they're playing the Dodgers. Then there's 27 other teams that I don't care about. They're just teams to play and beat. And then, if you understand Dodger fans correctly, you will know that there is a Team 30. And if you are a Dodger fan, you absolutely despise Team number 30. That's the San Francisco Giants. If the Giants lose, it's always a good day. Okay? Um, years ago, Lisa and I were living up near San Francisco. We were in the Monterey Peninsula. I was pastoring a small church. And there was a day where I had come home from work. Jenna was a preschooler at that time. And Jenna was super excited to tell me about something in her day. And so there I was at home. Yay, Dad, I'm spending time at home with my family and not all at work. And so I'm doing well there. And I'm standing like here, and there's like a coffee table there, and Jenna's kind of sitting on the edge of that coffee table. Lisa, my wife, she's right here because she wants to see as Jenna's telling me something she's super excited about. And then right behind Jenna is our TV, and our TV's on with the Dodger Giant game on there. Okay? What could go wrong? <laughs> And so Jenna's sharing with me something super exciting. And on the TV, right behind Jenna, um, one of the Dodgers did something that there was absolutely no excuse for. You know, sometimes you just get out and that's okay. Sometimes you commit an error and those things happen. Sometimes you do something where it's just a mental error and there's really no justification for it ever in the history of baseball why you would do something like that. And one of the Dodgers did those kind of a play, and it's even worse because we're playing our arch-rival team, and, and I just responded seeing that as Jenna's talking and telling me something that's very important to her, and I, and I respond to that event, and I said, what are you, stupid? <laughs> no, 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 you don't understand. I wasn't talking to her. I was talking to the TV. <laughs> and I was instantly, profusely apologizing because my preschool-age daughter did not understand the fine distinction of me talking to the TV and not her. And rest assured, my wife most certainly did not understand the fine distinction between me talking to the TV instead of talking to my daughter. And now, you're starting to put it together in your head. This is why Pastor Scott thought he'd be good to preach about flawed families. <laughs> 
I was present, but I really wasn't present. A couple weeks ago, I called Jenna down at school because I didn't want to share that story without her permission. And she said it was fine to share it. And you know what's interesting? I think about that regularly. I kick myself for that regularly. If I had a handful of things that I could change in my life, this would be on the short list. I would take that one back. And after I asked her if I could share about that, she told me she doesn't even remember it. You see, if I'm at work but I procrastinate with I'm there, I'm there but I'm not really there and it's going to impact something in my circle. If I'm at home but I'm distracted, I'm not really there. Something that my wife and I have done for years to try to make sure we're really there at times with our kids is dinner table is a sacred time at our house. We have dinner together with a fam- our family every night. TV's always off. Electronics, cell phones are not allowed at the table. It's a good time to go charge your cell phone. Because we're going to spend that time focused together as a family. Trying to be focused on our kids. You know, I don't blame Eli just because his sons failed. And I realize there's people here where you probably are feeling the pain of relationships you had with your kids or the current status of that. Our kids can choose different directions because they're human beings. Realize Adam and Eve had about as perfect a situation as they could have. They were walking in the garden with God and they still chose to sin. That wasn't God's fault. But I do blame Eli because God blames Eli. God says there was something wrong here. It says in 1 Samuel 2.28, I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? And this that shall come upon your two sons shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to all that is in my heart and is in my mind. See, God blames him. And I realize this could be a time where it's easy to kick ourselves and there's another thing that I haven't done well. And yet part of the focus throughout this series has been this. Every one of us and every one of our families is flawed. And it's only through those flaws that we experience God's grace. And wherever we're at right now, we can come to God and say, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that your forgiveness even covers this area that I'm kicking myself for right now. Unbalanced priorities lead to disaster. And they led to disaster in the life of Eli. We won't read through this section of the passage right now. You might want to look it up later. 
what happens next is that um, Israel goes to battle against the Philistines. And Eli's two sons are part of that battle. Eli's old. He's well into his 90s. I think he's 98 at this point. He's a very heavy set man. And he's waiting back um, at Shiloh to hear the reports. And some runner comes running to tell him the reports. And he tells him, Israel's lost to the Philistines. It was a horrible battle. And the Ark of the Covenant representing the presence of God among us has been stolen by the Philistines. And both your sons have died. And Eli is so upset by all that news that he falls from where he's sitting, he breaks his neck, and he dies. And then Eli's daughter-in-law, who's very pregnant at that point, goes into labor. And she gives birth to the baby. And she's so upset because she heard the Ark of the Covenant's been stolen. We've lost this major war. Her husband's been killed. Her father-in-law has died. And right before she dies, she names her son Ichabod, which means the glory of God has departed. Imagine having that name as a kid. Ichabod. Icky for short. The glory of God has departed from Israel. Because unbalanced priorities lead to disaster. You know, as we think of next steps today, I've got a few thoughts that might be helpful. One, what are your priorities? I just created my will. You could create your own. You could have as many categories as you want. You don't have to stick with five. What are the areas where God right now has given you priorities that you're involved in? I told you this would be a broader application than just people who are working and have kids at home. Really, wherever we're at in life, if you are alive right now, then God has you alive for a reason. What are your areas of priority? What are the areas where God wants you to be involved in your life? Second thing, what temptations do you face that lead you away from your priorities? What are the things that are tempting to you? The easy things. The things that when really entering into that area of your priority becomes a challenge. Third question, what changes need to be made so you can live out your priorities? Where's your tire unbalanced? Where are you not focusing the time that you need to be? What changes need to be made? I've greatly enjoyed the ministry of Dr. Henry Cloud. Um, He wrote the Boundaries book, and he wrote another one, Leadership, uh, Boundaries for Leaders. And in the Boundaries for Leaders, he was talking to a CEO. He works with a lot of um, leaders of companies. And he was sitting talking to a CEO, and the CEO was talking a lot about um, just things he didn't like about his company and things that were really bothering him. And Henry Cloud, as he's talking to him, realizes this guy's the top dog at this company. Everybody reports to him somehow or another. So he says to him after talking to him for a little bit, "Um, if you don't like that, why don't you change it? You are the CEO. And the CEO just was quiet for a few minutes, and then he got a smile. Henry Cloud said it was the kind of smile that a really smart person gets when they they get a thought that's really good. And the next thing that CEO said, you know, I am ridiculously in charge. And you know, we're not ridiculously in control. God's the one who's ridiculously in control. But when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior 
At that exact moment, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, which gives you incredible power. In fact, it's described in Scripture at some place as resurrection-level power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is living within you. And God has chosen to make you ridiculously in charge of some areas, including your priorities and how you spend your time. This last year, Pastor Scott had preached some on rest and the theme of rest. And Lisa and I were really thinking through that some. And one thing that was frustrating to us, and every year we'd probably talk about it some, was just how hectic Christmas always seemed and the holiday season always seemed. We came to the idea of, you know what, we're ridiculously in charge of that. If we don't like it, instead of complaining about it every year, maybe we should do something. And so last Christmas, we made some changes. Now, Lisa always buys her presents early. She's probably already thinking about this year's Christmas. I'm the one who, on Christmas Eve, is saying, hey, can we drop by the mall on the way to the Christmas Eve service at the church? Um, That's my tendency. And so I decided I was going to make sure to buy things early, all the presents that I do, um, so that I wouldn't be doing that at the last second. And we decided at the law firm we'd have a couple days where it would just be catch-up days for me before we closed the office for about a week. And we would do all our food shopping ahead of time, so that by the time we got to the 23rd, we were done. And on the morning of the 24th, we got up, and as a family, um, we had breakfast, and then we drove over to Sedona and did a hike together as a family. And we had lunch at a restaurant in Sedona, and we got back in time to change and to be able to get to the Christmas Eve service. And all the food was already ready at at home so that um, we didn't have to go shopping, do any of that. And we took the week off from work just to spend together as a family. And so far, you know, we've been married 25 years, and we've done it well, one year in a row now. (laughs) And you could ask us in January how I did. (laughs) But the idea is if I don't like how I'm spending my time, you know what? I'm ridiculously in charge of that. And that phrase almost gave me permission to act. If I don't like how much I'm exercising, guess what? I'm ridiculously in charge of that. I need to change my priorities somehow. If I don't like how much time I'm spending with the priority area of my life, I'm ridiculously in charge of that. And the reason I started with pictures of my kids is those pictures of them young at the beginning of the service, that just seems like yesterday to me. And I've only got so many years with them at home. In fact, one's already out and at college. And if God's given me areas that are priorities of my life, I want to make sure that I focus my time on those areas that God has made a priority. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.